Welcome to Feminine, the podcast dedicated to the feminine lens. My name is Priscilla Alexandra Hine, and I am a licensed clinical social worker and licensed practitioner of the healing arts in the state of California. And this is a place where we talk about spirituality, mental health, and the healing arts. (sighs) Thank you so much for being with me here today. It is the new moon in Virgo. This is our fifth episode of our Naked Summer series. We are naked this summer because summer is all about sexy, right? Well, sexy is kind of beyond the body if you're um, if you're real conscious. Anyways, you can get to that point, but we're sexy. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> um, we're sexy because we are transparent and simple and minimal and flawed and allowing ourselves to come to a space as people who are genuinely curious about how to um, journey alongside one another in a very toxic culture that does not value relationship. So (laughs) it's interesting because um, who I am on this new moon, which is how feminine follows the lunar cycle as well as the seasons because these are very um, feminine experiences and they are a reflection of creation. And again, we come back to the body when we talk about creation and we talk about femininity and the value of being connected to the earth and the relevance of um, God and divine in that space and the woman and the womb and blood offering and sex and all of these really um, kind of big, uh, sensual, mystic uh, images of what it means to be feminine that coincide with our consistent refusal to value those things, um, which is represented in our um, need to exploit resources on the planet. So anyways, I bring all of that to us today because it's very Virgo-y and this new moon is in Virgo and Virgo is an earthy sign ruled by the planet Mercury. If you're into astrology, this is a language that you may understand. If you're not, study it because it's pretty cool. Um, but again, we know we're not ruled by the stars. However, we are definitely ruled by the, by the moon and you don't even need to study that to know it. All you got to do is plant a little jalapeno plant and you can watch how it necessitates the moon and uh, the sun as well in its process of growth. It's pretty fantastic that I am here with you today because if you follow me on Instagram, which I give you full permission to do, at Priscilla Hine, P-R-I-S-C-E-L-L-A-J-A-E-N, I just kind of live my life um, and engage my followers there. But um, I promised you that I would give you uh, an episode today on spiritual trauma and healing and how to overcome those things. And I've been avoiding this episode really, um, really well. Yeah, (laughs) it's probably, it's, you know, it's funny because as an Enneagram eight, I have um, wing into seven and wing into nine and both of those numbers like to avoid. So I think the ego of the eight doesn't always like to admit how much they avoid their own shit because they're so influenced by the avoidance around them. And we bypass that by just being really confrontational and uh, confrontational, excuse me, and heady and like, um, I'm, I'm the one who's really brave. You know, I think, uh, eight can kind of get into that space 
but it's really easy for anybody's ego to avoid wanting to do the things that they just don't want to fucking do, right? I don't want to talk to you about spiritual trauma. I'm just going to be real with you listeners, okay? I've recorded this episode. I think this is like my fourth one. My original one, I had to talk myself down from anxiety attacks. Um, <laughs> my second one, I smoked like three cigarettes. Gosh, and I really, you know, please put out some incredibly encouraging um, vibes to me so that I can move on from this notion that cigarettes are healing. You know, I started smoking two years ago just to help myself process these profoundly insane traumas that had to do with the church. How ironic. Um, and I became really influenced by it because of its ability to help guide my prayers. And then I started to really justify it because of how indigenous cultures utilized tobacco to pray. And then I basically just became addicted. (laughs) And um, the more I settle into this new space, which I will talk to you about, which has to do with my spiritual trauma, um, I don't, I'm realizing I don't even like smoking very much. It kind of tastes disgusting. I don't even know how I got addicted to it in the first place, aside from the fact that I just genuinely needed a lot of cigarettes over the past two years. So needless to say, if you choose to smoke, please smoke organic tobacco um, and only cigarettes that have water and tobacco in them, okay? There, that's my clause. And put out some good vibes for me because I don't want to smoke anymore. It's really done a number on my skin. So we're going to try and move on from that. <laughs> um, let me get some water. This episode, I'm, I'm telling you right now. Mm. So let's chat a little bit about spiritual trauma. Because I do not, I am not convinced that many people know what it does and how it impacts a human being. So we know... Um, well, first, you know what? Let me take some more water and let's do some a little a little deep breathing. Let's come back to the body, yeah? Okay, give me a hot minute. Maybe I'll even sing you a little song and I'll do a little Bible verse for us. Let me get some water. Hold up. When we do our deep breathing exercises, we always breathe in for four seconds, hold it for seven, and exhale for eight. you a Bible verse that has been on my mind before we talk about um, spiritual trauma. And I think maybe I'll sing you a couple verses of one of my favorite hymns. But earlier when something fell on the floor, that was my cellular device. So I'm going to get that real quick. Again, we're naked for a reason. I have no desire to be perfect. And I hope that you don't either. 
I will preface reading this Bible verse with a truth. I went to a um, hyper-conservative Christian college in my early 20s, and that was really where I started to experience some of the most profound spiritual abuse that I have in my life. That's not to say that I hadn't had any before that I had, um, particularly during the George W. Bush administration, there was a great schism, particularly in the Inland Empire. If you're not familiar with where I'm located, I live in Riverside. This is the Inland Empire. It's one of the reasons why I um, always get a bit nervous about people listening to my voice because our air quality is really terrible here. We actually have an incredible amount of death because of our air quality. So I always wonder if you can pick up on any of my... Um, breathing uh, challenges. <laughs> um, excuse me, that's really funny. But anyways, back during the George W. Bush administration in the Inland Empire, there's like this major schism because um, where we're located is also referred to as the Bible Belt of Southern California. It's a hyper-conservative area, and that's really influenced also by Orange County, which essentially just means it's a lot of old money and people are really stingy, and they like to use religion to hide behind it. But in this area in particular... When the George W. Bush administration happened, he really utilized family and religion per Republican Party platform, right, to get votes. And it was incredibly controversial to disagree with that at the time. And I was really into the um, to hardcore punk rock and in the underground Christian metal scene and was passionate about bands like Norma Jean and Genosha and Thrice and... Um, really loved Me Without You and if you're not familiar with this music I highly encourage you to look into it it's absolutely profound and uh, really laid a, a strong foundation for my identity as a young Christian woman I remember before I read our Bible verse I'll give you a cute little memory <laughs> of, of what it's like to be feminine in a world where um being strong is this is this notion of hypermasculinity. This is my cute little memory, and then I'll transition to my Bible verse and what it has to do with basically what I'm sharing with you. So I had a very dear friend whom I still love with all of my heart. He was my best friend in junior high. Um, shout out to Daniel. Love you, buddy. Hope you're okay. Uh, miss you very much. Um, he was in a band, and of course I supported him because <laughs> that's what I do. <laughs> and he had a show, and they, you know, at the time there was this kind of schism between like who was really, you know, I'm really punk and I'm really hardcore, and, and I go to these shows and I go in the pit. And it's kind of this unique culture that occurred in, in the Inland Empire when the, um, hardcore scene was really emerging and it was this collection of young Christians who were really angry with the Bush administration and this notion that um, war could be justified through the scripture and through faith. And so we would all go to these shows every week and my God, I spent so much of my young, my youth going to hardcore Christian shows in basements and all sorts of things. 
And I never went into the pit because I thought it was a waste of energy and I have no desire to get punched in the face and I don't understand that logic. I would gently excuse myself from this, uh, from this idea of exhilaration and would kind of stand outside, you know, like this, uh, I had curly hair and I'm mixed, so I didn't have like emo bangs or anything. <laughs> I just had curls, um, and I'd kind of stand outside of the pit, you know, and I'd watch my friends get all like angry and stuff. And I'd be like, okay, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> well, there's this really interesting culture that happened where hyper conservative um, Christians started to really embrace a lot of the underground metal scene and would come into our communities. And we started to call them bros. And the bros would come in. And they would do this really funny thing where they would like stretch before getting in the pit and they'd wear like sweatbands. <laughs> it's really interesting. And um, they would wear like athletic shorts and they'd be real high, <laughs> like their thighs would show and stuff. And of course me, it would be like, oh, he's, <laughs> he's cute. <laughs> and, um, and I, you know, the bros would come in and they would act just like these silverback gorillas and it was the most asinine scene on the planet and all of our parents who would put on these parties for us and like allow us to use their backyards just thought we were crazy but they were just glad we weren't doing drugs because a lot of times if you wanted to be invited to these you had to be something called straight edge and <sighs> trust me I assure you there's a point to this story so <laughs> being straight edge meant that you didn't smoke you didn't drink you didn't do drugs and you were a very convicted person of course I was straight edge hello <laughs> So anyways, I have this really, um, really special memory of when I was at a place called The Showcase, and The Showcase was this theater in Corona, California, where we would go and see shows and be packed like sardines, and some of the greatest memories of my life are at Showcase. I'm not that old, but I'm sure maybe I'll forget them one day. For now, they're still pretty profound. And I was supporting my my wonderful friend Daniel and his band, and this bro was in this pit, and he kept hitting me. And here I am in my cute little pencil gray pencil skirt with my brown purse and my flower in my hair, and he kept hitting me. And I told him, like, I'm not in the pit, dude. Like, stop hitting me. And then he hit me again. And I said to him, no, excuse my language, but... <laughs> You know, um, I said to him, dude, stop fucking hitting me. And he hit me again. And here's totally an example of just, for me, authentic femininity fighting back at this like misogynistic um, bullshit alpha dude energy that can come from the punk rock scene and the hardcore scene and a lot of these hyper-masculine um, cultures that just fuel toxic misogyny and it's not toxic masculinity masculinity is not toxic it's beautiful and super necessary men have an amazing purpose on the planet my friends amazing feminine does not exist to combat the or to create a notion that men should not exist no 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 we need men feminine exists to teach all of us that we need both just as much however we don't need misogyny and that's a big difference. So finally, on my third um, on my third request for him to stop, which he didn't, 
I put my little purse down on the stage, and Dan was so cute. He looked at me, and he was playing bass, and I was about to handle business, dude. And I go over to this bro, and I punch him in the face. (laughs) And I said to him, I told you, I'm not in the fucking pit. And, um, and then like 30 minutes later, he's, he comes up to me. He's like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, you should be. (laughs) Anyways, that's my story. And it has to do with, um, with the value of just really recognizing, um, the beauty of coexisting in the same place. And when a woman says no, the first time she means it. So. That is a really great way for me to stop and pause and start really diving deep into what we're going to talk about today, and that's spiritual trauma. And I'm going to start by reading um, a Bible verse, and then I'll tell you a little bit about when I started experiencing spiritual trauma in my early 20s at my undergraduate school. Excuse me, spiritual abuse, which led to spiritual trauma. Micah 6, eight. He has told you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord really wants from you. He wants you to carry out justice, to love faithfulness, and to live obediently before your God. He has shown me. What is good and what the Lord requires of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. He has shown to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. In my early 20s, I left the Inland Empire and I went to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania and I um, was really influenced by monasticism. And I studied uh, the Bible and social work. I have two bachelor's degrees, one in social work and one in the Bible. Yes, and my bachelor's says Bachelor of Science in Bible. I've read the Bible multiple times. It's actually a pretty cool book, and I enjoy it a great deal. Um, I went to a hyper-conservative Christian university that was not only incredibly racist, but misogynistic and just filled with a lot of anguish and hate. I would experience harassment almost on a daily basis by a lot of the male um, 
members, or I guess, I don't know, students, as well as the male staff, because I am, again, a strong woman. You know what? You know what? I'm nixing that. I'm not a strong woman, okay? I'm a gentle, um, soft, sensual, loving, nurturing woman. I am a woman who cries and who needs compassion and protection. And this notion that I'm strong came forth because I was surrounded by an incredible amount of men who thought it was their right to invade my space without asking, including emotionally, including spiritually, and not only invade my space, but dump their bullshit into it and exploit it and tell me that I'm the one who has to figure out what to do with it in the name of God. This behavior not only happened to me physically, but it also happened to me, God, it happened to me in a number of ways. It was not even funny. So after a while, I started to get really um, incredible anxiety when I would uh, go to campus because I just didn't want to have to be harassed again. And um, I made choices that resulted, you know, I made them in my effort to try and be safe. And unfortunately, it resulted um, in a physical assault. And I was assaulted, um, sexually assaulted in the name of Jesus by someone I thought who really cared about me. And um, I was a virgin at the time. And when, when I was assaulted the first time, <clears throat> the second time I was assaulted was um, after I had my my first child. And it's pretty interesting because being um, being a feminine being, as well as a woman who receives a lot of energy, um, as well as an intuitive woman, I could use words in that space like psychic or empathic, um, you know, these types of things. But I don't want to because I don't think that that is going to matter in the grand scheme of things. The reality is, is everybody feels things and we all have energy portals throughout our body. And if you know about chakras at all, which is ancient Hindu uh, teachings, those energy portals are can be activated in each one of us. And some of us are more sensitive to certain areas, etc., so I, um, that was really my introduction to spiritual abuse for the first time was uh, when I was in college. And then it transitioned um, into a really interesting experience that I had in my early 20s that took me a really long time to process and understand. Probably um, didn't really recover from it entirely until... Well, I still have nightmares about it, so I will be very candid. I have post-traumatic stress disorder um, from another church experience that I had in my early 20s that lasted until I was probably about 30. And that was when I went to go. Uh, I started to take part in a church community that I was referred to by um, my previous spiritual mentor, who I uh, really trusted with my life at one point. And I went to him for help in my early 20s, and um, I said, you know, I'm, I'm really vulnerable. I'm not doing well. I, I'm self-harming. I'm doing these these things that um, 
I just really need support right now. My parents were going through a really hard time and yada, yada, yada. And so he was really insistent that I stay with him. Excuse me one second. And he was connected to what I find a lot of people call intentional community, which if you really just examine that, it means just having healthy relationships. But I think sometimes in the church, we have a hard time understanding how to have healthy relationships. So we label it stuff like intentional living. And it just makes me laugh. Like there's really nothing intentional about telling somebody how you feel. You should really be in a standard in your life where you do that. And if you're not there, then you're not healthy. Plain and simple. But, you know, having, you know, learning about or telling someone how you feel requires that you have to learn how to identify emotions from the beginning. And that's really hard to do, right? So anyways, they um, they actually still have what is called a intentional community in Corona. And um, I went there for help in my early 20s. And when I was staying there, um, he and his wife uh, started coming on to me and trying to seduce me. And... <coughs> Excuse me. You see, that hack is really just an indication of the Inland Empire. I apologize. I, it's just something I got, and I, I don't imagine it's going to go away. So anyways, <laughs> welcome to the Naked Summer series, my friends. <laughs> so um, they started coming on to me and trying to seduce me, and it was really uncomfortable for me. And um, he ended up forcing himself onto me in certain ways. Uh, he kissed me, and that was really inappropriate, and you know, um, various other things. And to this day, I still have nightmares of him trying to touch me. And um, excuse me one second. I think the hardest part about that experience was not only that they tried to seduce me, but they also took um, the thesis of the of the partner that I had at the time and used it to do this really elaborate um, city like poetry event in the name of um, a community in Riverside called Casablanca. And they've never been to Casablanca, mind you. They never even like lived there, and they have absolutely no affiliation to Latin culture in any regard. But they got a lot of people to really go come behind it. And um, I had told them many times, like, I don't feel safe. I don't feel comfortable doing this. Like, I'm Latina. Like, this isn't how I represent my cultura, and this isn't how I represent my people. And um, he was just really adamant, like, you know, like, don't worry about it. Like, it's okay. Like, you're going to be okay. And one time we met and I said, I don't feel comfortable doing this. And he was like, it's fine. Like, you've got it. It's okay. And eventually I ended up giving in. And I remember also telling a lot of the people in the community at the time, or excuse me, the church at the time, like, this isn't right like like this is like a bunch of white people coming into a brown community and claiming that they know how to bless the brown community with art um based off of their notion of what this brown community should be and nobody really said anything but me but that's pretty typical um as far as how i understand how church goes at this point um, I have had one friend, I think, who has spoken up at certain points, but other than that, I've not really ever encountered anyone who's really defied authority when it has come to injustices in the church, and particularly ones that revolve around 
uh, misogyny or sexism. Um, oh, I do. You know, what? I do have one friend who did speak out against um, this church that I was encouraged to go to by my previous spiritual mentor that resulted in um, post-traumatic stress disorder. Oh my God. Um, he, the pastor was slandering me when I started to confront the pastor about his misogyny and his gaslighting. I did have a friend who confronted him and that was, um, I was really grateful for that. So I think at certain points, you know, some people do get behind, um, trying to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do without having anything in it for themselves, particularly in the church. But overall, my experiences with church have been the, you know, when I was in Philadelphia, that was the best time of my life when it came to church. And that is the best time of church that I've ever had. So shout out to Doug Logan, who's the greatest pastor I have ever had in my life. Um, my incredibly amazing friends, Doug and Angel Logan in Philadelphia, who are actually amazing people who love God and live for God and do the right thing in the name of God and serve the community. That was... Um, that is real church. We were in the heart of uh, Philadelphia in communities where the kids had nothing to eat and we would just station up, you know, post up and get them something to eat. That's church. Um, we were very different, all sorts of socioeconomic backgrounds. We were in this building that was from like 1600 and cost like two grand just to pay the heat heating bill during the winter, um, two grand a month. And I just remember us really valuing that and really seeking Christ in that space. And then I was connected to a church called Epiphany. And that was one of the most amazing experiences of church in my life I have ever had. And I don't foresee myself ever having those kinds of experiences again, because now I live in the Inland Empire. And you know, what a difference, right? I live in a hyper-conservative, the Bible Belt of Southern California versus North Philadelphia. And what a what a what a what a what a contrast, what a juxtaposition as far as who needs God the most. You know, you can justify not needing God in the Inland Empire because you've got a lot of money here, a lot of old money, and you've got a lot of um, buffering to be kind of full of shit. It's just facts. Like, there's a lot of bullshit in the Inland Empire that is pushed onto the community from schools like CBU and that's California Baptist University. It's hyper um, religious institution slash corporation that basically forces people to be a certain way if you want to attend and shames you if you're not. But doesn't that sound like church? <laughs> who doesn't feel like that? Like who hasn't had an experience with church that resulted in them feeling like they had to be a certain way in order to attend? That for me has been my understanding of, of what church is. And I just, you know, um, I really had to, it was right before I turned 30 where I, I can't believe I just disclosed my age. I'm only 23, okay? 
whoever is listening, (laughs) my dear listeners. Okay, I'm just kidding. I'm 33 and I'm going to own it. So it was really right before I turned 30 and I was um, coming out of a partnership that I had been in for uh, about a decade and I had ended it and had decided that I was going to allow myself to be the Christian that I was. And that was this sensual, feminine, mystic, Christian woman who knew to the core of her being that God loved her exactly as she was. And she didn't have to change. And her sensuality wasn't here to be invaded by a bunch of men who had um, identity issues because they didn't know how to exercise self-control or how to keep their own bullshit in check. This was like a constant struggle for me in the church. And being a grown woman, um, really way too soon, but... Owning my sensuality has caused a great deal of um, of issues for me. It's basically a, a piece of meat, dude. Like church meat. It's what it is. You are yourself. You're sensual. You're okay with who you are. You go into a church-like setting and you're church meat. And it's this moment for everybody to kind of eat you and like wonder like, what do you taste like? And just, oh, it's just the worst feeling on the planet. And it doesn't matter if you have a partner. People don't care in church communities. They don't care. They want at you. They want at you. And when I tell you that I have had a lot of married Christian men come on to me, believe it. (laughs) Believe it. There is an incredible lack of boundaries in church communities and a lot of bullshit that is masked through the delusion of Jesus. Jesus isn't a personality type, okay? There's this delusion in churches and or Christianity that Jesus is a personality type. That's bullshit. You can never be Jesus. He was one guy, and he really made a difference, okay? He was also used to exploit and oppress people. So it's really easy to do that when you spiritually um, assault human beings. It's easy to use Jesus to get power. It's happened to me um, on multiple occasions, and it takes a great deal of commitment to self to choose to not allow that to influence your character in any regard, but 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 to to make you um, a more healthy human being who really loves from their core, not from their. Um, not from their idea of who they are, but from who they really are. There's such a delusion in in the church that, you know, we're a community, we're in relationship. No, we're not, dude. Like, if, if you don't know how shitty I am when I'm fighting, we're not in relationship, okay? If you can't call me out on my bullshit and or if you're avoiding me when I call you out on your bullshit, we're not in community. So I this is so interesting because I go back to this memory of um, my previous spiritual mentor and his wife and 
after they had used me for uh, the the thesis of my partner at the time and had come on to me and I started to like tell people about it because it actually really impacted my life. I had to end my partnership because I was not safe there any longer and you know I had to um, make a lot of changes in my personal life and my previous spiritual mentor just pretended like none of that ever happened and I went to his house and I tried to talk about it and they were scared out of their minds which you know what they should be because when Enneagram 8 lady gets pissed you kind of don't want to be near her but at the end of the day it makes me laugh because it's like you know me very well like you think I'm what do you think I'm gonna do hit you <laughs> like you, you've known me since I was 16 years old you can't have a dialogue with me and answer my questions as to why you forced me to kiss you or like why you kissed me um, you can't answer that for me because it actually really um, creeped me out. You can't answer that to me. Um, you know, these types of, of, of ideas of relationship are just absolutely fueled with delusion. And then I think about, you know, the pastor at the, the church that my previous mentor had turned me on to. Like, you can't have a conversation with me about how you're lying to my face, how you're gaslighting me and other people in this church about the way in which you are treating me. That greatly impacted my life. Not only did it influence one of the myriad of reasons why I needed to end my partnership that I was in at the time, but it also made me feel really scared and really unsafe because there were promises made that not only were never fulfilled, but I was the one who was said that I was blamed and, and made out to be um, someone who was unstable. I'm not unstable. I'm very stable. I'm in the mental health field. I've been <laughs> police. Um, necessitate stability. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. That doesn't mean that I've got all of my shit together but I am very stable and you're not going to convince me of um, reality not being reality. So don't even fucking try, okay, homie? So back up with your bullshit. And that type of reconciliation is incredibly rare in church communities. I have found, anyways. Um, I did really try and reconcile with a professor um, from my undergraduate studies who gave me a D after I shaved my head. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, Priscilla, you and your relationship with church. <laughs> I was very frustrated. I felt really angry. Nobody would take me seriously. They only wanted to call me pretty. And it was like, listen, I'm not just pretty. And I shaved my head because I'd had had enough. I'm an intelligent woman. I've got something to offer. Stop objectifying me. There is more to me than that. And if all you can see is what I look like, you lack um, you lack not only self-control, but you lack the ability to see a human being for who they really are. Are people good looking? Yes, of course. Are we allowed to look? Yes, of course. Depending on the situation. Do we force? Never. Do we think that we're entitled to look? No. Can we see people? Of course. But there are boundaries, for God's sake. And when a woman is coming to the table and she's bringing um, insight and she's really seeking to have a dialogue about what does it mean to live out, the, live out a life that understands the teachings of Jesus, and she's in that space, don't call her pretty. She's an academic. 
different, you know, stop just looking at her as an object and start listening to what she has to say. So all of that being said, I was very frustrated, not only because of the consistent harassment I was receiving on campus uh, from the male students as well as the male professors, but just by the notion that me being a female meant that my job was to stay quiet and um, do all sorts of things that I really ended up trying to do that caused me a great deal of harm. So I shaved my head and one of my professors gave me a D. And that was like one of my favorite classes. We were reading about the old prophetics, um, prophetic, the old prophets. You know, I'm a, I'm a prophet to, to my core. My God, I've got to speak truth. I've got to live on the margins. I've got to defy social norm. That's me. So I was really stoked about prophetics and I was doing a great job. And after I shaved my head, whoo, homie tried to tell me that I plagiarized a paper. I didn't plagiarize. And I took it to him straight straight up. And we had a, a really interesting dialogue where he told me that he was uncomfortable by my candidness. And I said to him, I'm really uncomfortable by the notion that you're claiming I plagiarized a paper. I didn't, but I'll take the D. And if you do it any more than that, if you knock my grade any further than that, I'll take it to the president. So it didn't move from a D, but it didn't change the fact that that impacted, one, my GPA, and two, just my trust of church people. Another, you know, you know there's, I have so many stories of spiritual abuse. And the church is just flooded with toxicity. And the trauma is immense. And it's funny because we land on this new moon and me sharing this story is so critical to my healing. And me talking about my own experiences with spiritual abuse and spiritual trauma is most likely the final, um, it's like the cherry on top of my entire healing journey of being a sensual, intelligent woman in the church. And I've had pushback, too. I, I had a request from someone to be less sexy. And thank you, listeners, for enduring with me and my sensuality. I can't do anything about it. <laughs> um, I really can't. I'm a sensual lady. It's... I come from an incredibly romantic culture. Um, additionally, if you know anything about strengths finders, I've got the gift of woo, which is basically a curse. But it's never going to change. I am sensual. I am sexy. And um, I do my very best to acknowledge the, the erroneous amount of sex that has infiltrated U.S. American culture, for God's sake, um, and, and, and swim upstream. I do. But I also absolutely refuse to have that power stripped of me because I know what it is to have my sex taken from me and the amount of violent trauma that comes from that particularly the detox.
the detox of that is really horrific. And sensuality and sexuality in the church when a woman is in her power and if it makes us feel uncomfortable, that's the moment for us to go within. But if she is making you feel all sorts of things because she is just being who she is, that's a moment to really honor her strength as far as courage because it takes courage to not surrender your sex and still stand behind the Lord. It takes a great deal of courage while also having breasts, for God's sake. Those three things, I'll tell you, you walk into a church and it's basically um, a witch hunt. It's my experience, anyways. So I appreciate the feedback to um, work on my sensuality, but I don't foresee it changing. And uh, I'm quite grateful for it. I'm blessed to be a sexy woman. It's part of my calling. <laughs> In the name of Jesus, amen. <laughs> um, so we're, we're going to transition as we um, identify what spiritual abuse looks like and these differentiations of power and these power structures that come into play, not only misogyny and sexism, but then you have leaders, you've got pastors, you've got bishops, and all these little titles that come with superiority and whatnot, and it's all so phony and bullshit. It's like, you don't have any more power over me because you have a label of a pastor. You know, a pastor is a pastor because they have a master's in divinity. Listen, just because you study Greek and Hebrew doesn't mean you know more about God. Download a program called Lagos, and you can interpret Greek into English at any time. Um, so it's really interesting to think about this notion of power in the church. And, you know, like a woman walks in, and she's all sexy and curvy, and then everybody, nobody knows what to do. You know, Jesus Christ, it's just a woman. For God's sake, allow her to exist. Again, we find this power dynamic of the church not even knowing how to handle their own understanding of sexuality and really being stifled in that place. And again, we go through this um, maze of misogyny, right? Um, a, a woman who's confident becomes an, an object to be adored. It's so silly. Um, it's so silly. Then we have um, this notion that femininity has a specific place in the church, you know, and and it shouldn't be um, anything but in that place. And then that's another form of abuse, right? And you know, all sorts of things. And then then we use Jesus to abuse people, and then that becomes traumatic. We're going to use Jesus to make you um, feel uns to to compromise yourself physically. You know, we're going to use Jesus as a way for us to force ourselves into your body. You know, we're gonna use Jesus 
to justify our actions and never get help. It's actually really gross. And that's not who Jesus was at all. So the new moon is a time for us to plant seeds of justice and change. And I invited you into this space because I felt it's really necessary as we're approaching our 2020 election. And the church has gone through an incredible schism with the Trump administration. This is very much similar to to my, uh, reminds me of of my times in the underground hardcore scene during the George W. Bush administration. There was a great schism that was happening in the church at that time. And it really opened up a great door for the the Obamas to take um, the electoral vote in, in the relatively near future after that. Because we'd, you know, many of us had just been flat out traumatized by the George W. Bush administration and the war in Iraq. Um, I, God, that was so horrific. Emotionally, I'm not, maybe it wasn't traumatizing, but when 9-11 happened, that was a very traumatic experience. And the way in which we approached resolution was horrific. So then we um, find ourselves in the Trump administration and we long for the George W. Bush days, like, oh my God, I really miss that time, you know? But we're here and um, we're not going to be able to avoid it. I've got some really incredible statistics for us from the National Association of Social Workers magazine that I'll be reading on our next episode and I think it's going to, to shed some light on what's really happening sociologically um, and why feminine wants to bridge a gap between this this missing narrative like what is going on here you know um, what is happening and there's just a schism and that's what schisms do they don't make sense the church needs to divide and it needs to fall apart. You know, when Notre Dame started burning, I felt relief. I felt, oh my God, praise the Lord. What a sign. This is a sign from God. And then billions of dollars comes in to restructure this church. Who cares? Let it burn. There is so much freedom in letting go of that much um, unnecessary weight. Incredible freedom. And now we've got the Amazon burning and no one gives a shit and there's like $5 going toward the Amazon, right? But we all want to rebuild Notre Dame. <laughs> Why? That's, there's nothing there. Nothing of relevance at all. There's probably so much um, horrific experiences that have happened. Is it beautiful? Yes. Have I been? Of course. I've been to France. Who do you think I am? <laughs> Paris is exquisite. One of the most romantic things in my life happened to me in Paris. But that doesn't mean anything. Notre Dame is just a building. God doesn't live there. God is in the Amazon, people. She's in the air. She is creation. This is, again, this division of masculinity. We care more about a building than we care about tangible things that we need that are relevant that reflect creation. The earth is the most pertinent form of loving and supporting God that we could ever find. Go run around naked in a forest somewhere if you want to find God. That's where she lives. Go skinny dipping in the ocean at night. That's where God lives. This is why it's really important for us to stop using plastic and care about things that are of relevance 
These are really life-changing experiences. Notre Dame. Big deal. Stained glass windows burned down. Okay, well, see you later. (laughs) Thank you for the art and for the years of us being able to look at it. Must be a sign that it's time to change. Right? That's what creation does. That's what she teaches us every time. So the new moon in Virgo, um, Virgo is ruled by Mercury. Mercury is one of the largest constellations, and we're here to plant seeds of justice and to remind ourselves that the church is not a building. Let Notre Dame burn. Burn it down, okay? It's not a building. It is not um, a hierarchy of power and authority. It is not an invasion of personal identity and personal space. It is not an opportunity to harass and shame and judge. That is not who God is. That is not who Jesus was. That is not how we journey this life. Not at all. Not in one, not at all. That's not what church is. So we continue on in this space because we want to know that There's hope for us as a collective of people who don't fit into these um, boxes and, you know, little boxes on a hillside, little boxes made of ticky-tacky, little boxes on a hill. There's a green one and a blue one and then a yellow one and they're all, oh, oh, jeez. And they're all made out of ticky-tacky. And they all look just the same. I dropped my mic. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) So we are not um, boxes. We're complex beings. Everybody comes to the church with a different set of DNA and identity markers. Embrace it. Allow it to unfold accordingly. Allow people who challenge your comfort level into your life and let them let them take up space and you do the same in theirs and do it in the name of the Lord. That is beautiful. Allow those experiences to bring you to your knees and create a really profound um, movement and shift forward into your into your identity. That's what that's what this move this that's what this new moon is all about. Do justice, love mercy, and just be humble. That's it. The church is not your identity. And the ways in which you can come out of trauma that you have experienced from the church and anybody associated with it, one, share your story. Share your story. Narration therapy is an incredible intervention that is profound. Sharing your story matters. Language matters. Words matter. Story matters. And the more you share your story, the more comfortable you'll become with with accepting what has happened to you in the name of God. But you will also begin to recognize that that should never have happened to you. And you have 
the right to to take your identity back and to take your relationship with God back and to make it and turn it into something beautiful. You have that right. This is an incredible intervention to use for yourself if you have experienced church trauma or spiritual trauma in any capacity. So narration therapy is when you start to tell your story of what happened to you and how you were abused and traumatized. Also, find groups of people who grew up in the church and do not fit in. If you listen to Feminine, you this is a perfect place for you. We are the scum of church in this community. I am a 33-year-old, sensual, boisterous, curvy lady who is overly educated in mental health and has an incredible passion for mystery and mysticism and studied tarot for years on end and has done readings on people and knows an incredible amount about astrology and energy and chakras and stones and, you know, um, energies associated with goddesses like Lilith and Hecate and Mayat, you know, that for me is really controversial when you when you when you juxtapose how patriarchal church culture is in not a healthy way we're not looking at a patriarchy that is healthy we're looking at a patriarchy that's misogynistic and um you know this is an opportunity for you to realize you're not alone it's really normal to come from church stuff and be traumatized. If you don't want to talk about the Bible anymore, welcome to the club, dude. Because it's really not used to learn and to grow. It's often used to shame and to have power. If you think that the word Jesus is overused and like really empty, welcome to the club. There are incredible leaders throughout history. There is not only Jesus that we have to reference, but we reference him here because he's a really great reference for us in the context of how to be intentional with understanding sociological shifts that are occurring currently, particularly in the U.S. But I really encourage you, look into Buddha. I have some beef with Buddha because he left his family and his wife to go um, seek consciousness, and I think that's really self-centered. But you know what? Being mindful is really relevant. And I guess he just really needed to do that, you know? Um, It kind of reminds me of Gandhi in a way and how he wouldn't let his wife um, take antibiotics, but he did and she died. You know, that's really shady. This is why it's super important to never be... um, black and white. Life is gray, homies. It is gray. It is so gray. (laughs) Whatever is black and white in your life is toxic, okay? If you think in black and white, that is called trauma, and you are really struggling to wrestle with um, reconciling something that has happened that you're avoiding. 
um, trauma is easy to avoid by black, with black and white thinking. So I bring us back to this space, and I'm really grateful that you're holding it for me. Talking about my church experiences is pretty candid for me. I'm super private about my spirituality in this way. I'm impressed with myself that I'm even choosing to do this, but it's time, and narration therapy, that intervention gives me permission to do that and to own my shit and to bring it here and to remind us that, you know what, we're all human, but we can heal no matter what happens to us or how we are um, harmed or what has harmed us. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. In the grand scheme of our identities, nobody can take you from yourself. Hell no. Oh, no, 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 no. You have yourself no matter what. You've got to wake up with yourself and fall asleep with yourself. You're going to die with yourself. Isn't that awful to think about? You will die with yourself. (laughs) What a tragic notion. (laughs) Wouldn't you so much rather die with someone else? Nope, not going to happen. It's you. So you better find a way to heal and recover from any sort of notion that someone has power over you and that God would allow that to happen. Hell no. God would never allow that to happen. People are really flawed. You know, when I think about my old spiritual mentor or when I think about, um, you know, being assaulted as a virgin in the name of Jesus and these types of things, my, you know, one of my dear friends gave me this really beautiful image of Kali. And if you're not familiar with um, the Bhagavad Gita, or excuse me, Bhagavad Gita, it's the spiritual text for um, Hinduism. And it's very beautiful. I'm currently in the process of reading it, and it's quite profound. But Kali is a goddess um, who takes care of like the bullshit, and she goes around and like, kills people and stuff. And um, there's these images of various uh, gods and goddesses who really understand the necessity to take care of justice, and so they do it. One of the gods in um, the Gita, he has a little son or a little boy who's, who wants to be freed from being abused. And so the father in the spiritual realm takes the abuser and rips apart his guts. <laughs> it's actually pretty cool. And... There's an incredible amount of peace and freedom in just trusting that the things that happen to you that you cannot make sense of that cause you pain and harm and or cause harm to other people because you were harmed, it's not your shame and it's not your burden. So let it go. Let go of the notion that you have to protect the people who have caused you harm and trust that they will have to deal with their shame and their sins accordingly. And that's kind of the most fair thing that you can do because in that space, you're really loving yourself. I don't care about my previous spiritual mentor anymore. I don't care about the people 
or excuse me, um, the person who assaulted me. I don't care. That's not my burden. People who violate innocence and who take from people are really sick. They need to get help. And it's up to them to do that, and it's up to them to make the choices that they need to in order to do that. And one of the ways that we, as members of the extended community, can support them with that is by speaking out and telling the truth. It doesn't matter to me. You know, I am sometimes I'm harassed by the church, some of the people from the church where the um, my previous spiritual mentor brought me to and the pastor um, gaslighted and slandered me. Some of the old church members harassed me and I just think to myself, don't you have anything better to do? Are you so concerned with the fact that I speak truth and it makes you that uncomfortable? You can't even just leave me alone. You have to harass me, a mother <laughs> of two children. Go have a hobby for God's sake. Go get another job. There is so much more to life than you being perceived as a powerful person. Do something else. Because if my presence threatens you that much, then clearly I must have an incredible amount of authority over you. And I'm not changing my story because I know how it impacted my life. So whatever you've got with um, your ego right now, give it to God because it's not my burden. I used to have this thing where I was like, I need to go back and I need to confront that pastor and I need to confront my spiritual, men- my old spiritual mentor and I need to just tell them how horrible they were to me. And then after like really um, doing some incredible soul searching, I just was like, no, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't have to do that. That's not my job. They already know that I have beef with them and they already don't care. What my job is, is to stay grounded in my truth and not waver it. And to maintain the posture of respect and maturity that I have throughout the years while also dealing with the side effects of the trauma that came from that. And so be it. So be it. If, if there is a lack of courage from that community, fine. I, I, that's on you. But I don't have a lack of courage, and I know exactly what happened to me. And I'm not wavering that shit. Because I'm the one that has to deal with it. Waking up and all that shit. So you can tell me whatever you want. But it doesn't change the reality. That's my reality. And I'm going to own it. And that's going to allow me to heal. That's just post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's one step at a time. And it really... um, I've found a lot of peace and a lot of freedom through exposure therapy and narrative therapy and bibliotherapy. Um, I've found a lot of peace and a lot of healing through cognitive behavioral therapeutic interventions for myself, all of which I have the luxury of being able to access because I've been a clinician for such a while and I've been in the social work field for so long and I'm not diagnosing you and I'm not giving you any sort of anything. 
I'm simply sharing my own experiences for myself. And if you do have flashbacks and if you do find yourself getting hypervigilant, which means really scared or um, feeling unsafe by anything associated with a church that you attended, um, et cetera, if you find yourself having nightmares, these types of things, you should go get help. There's nothing wrong with that. Reach out to a clinician in your community. You can send me an email. I'd love to talk to you about it. We can journey that together. You can email me at itspriscilla at gmail.com, P-R-I-S-C-E-L-L-A-I-T-S, itspriscilla at gmail.com. And um, allow yourself to let it go. There's no shame in being rejected by your church community. There's actually a lot of freedom there because who wants to be a part of a community that can't be real? Ew. I don't. Happy new moon in Virgo, my friends. May you do justice. May you walk humbly. May you love mercy. And trust that Jesus was the most crustiest person and he was the greatest example of intentional living for, for really for all of us. And I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. There's so many incredible prophets throughout the human story, but that fool Jesus, he's fucking cool, dude. He doesn't give a shit where you come from. If you are being abused, he's going to call out that shit. He's going to tell you to come on over and rest. You have full permission. Let go of the past. Move forward. Don't get caught up in your pain. Give yourself permission to heal. You deserve it. Even with that own type of pain and trauma. Many blessings to you on this new moon in Virgo. It's real earthy and an incredible moment to uh, rebalance our brain chemistry and to come into the body and heal and prep for the next socio-political schism that will occur with our upcoming primary election. Be ready, my friends. Be ready, because God will be used as a weapon. It's not going to be pretty. My uh, very dear friend of mine and I were chatting about how it will be a shitstorm. <laughs> That's okay. Don't allow it to knock you off your game. Don't allow people using the Bible to cause you confusion about where you stand. Where you stand with Christ is exactly where you stand with Christ. Where you stand with other people's understanding of Christ, who cares? That's none of your concern. Be concerned with yourself. God bless you, my friends. I'll see you on the next episode, which will land on our full moon. Hey, listener, guess what? I've got a couple snags I got to clarify for you. As much as our Naked Summer series is all about being imperfect and exposed and minimal and all those sensual things, there are a few errors that I need to correct because I like to give credit where credit is due. I do not like to appropriate. 
um, and or homage, you know, art deserves an incredible amount of homage when it's good in particular. In my first episode, I referenced the song about uh, Zion, and I called it Zion by Lauren Hill. It's actually called To Zion. I also referenced a song by De Truth in, I believe it was my third episode, called I referred to it as the Da Vinci Code, and that is inaccurate, and I will do this for the rest of my life. It's actually called The Portrait. So again, Lauren Hill's song is called To Zion. De Truth's song is called The Portrait. I also, in this episode, referred to Virgo, uh, excuse me, Mercury as the second largest constellation. That is inaccurate. It is Virgo that is the second largest constellation. Mercury is a planet. Thank you so much for being here with me and for allowing us to be human in this space. Hey, you know what? If you really like Feminine and it's blessed you, can you give us a five-star rating? And if you don't like it, um, you know, the best thing you can do is probably just stop listening. (laughs) All right, my friends. Thank you.